Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Liquid fish fertilizer. It's also called fish emulsion, and it's a popular way to feed your plants. But is it safe to fully or feed your edible greens with that stuff and then eat those greens? Longtime organic gardening professional Steve Zion advocates for the fishy stuff along with a dollop of seaweed. Oh, I love the aroma of fish emulsion in the morning. The plant of the week, it's a tree that's an acquired taste. And it's one very eccentric plant. Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum will explain. It's all on episode 103 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We get questions. You can phone or text them in to 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. And we got a text message from an unknown person from an unknown place. Please, ladies and gentlemen, if you send a question, you can make up a name. Call yourself Adolf if you want. I don't care. But at least be somewhat accurate about uh, the city or area where you live because that can greatly help us answer your garden questions. Now, the clue we have, though, this is from Area Code 707, uh, which is uh, basically Northern California, Bay Area. So we'll make up a name. And say, this is Charlie from Vacaville who wants to know, how do you apply liquid fertilizer to vegetables? I've heard that you are supposed to apply fertilizer occasionally throughout the growing season. I have liquid fish emulsion that I want to add to lettuce and other vegetables in my garden. Now, when it comes to fish emulsion, we like to call in the king of fish emulsion, soil <laughs> pedologist Steve Zion, to uh, set us straight because he has been using fish emulsion for decades. And Steve, uh, Charlie goes on to say, I diluted it as directed on the container and have it in a watering can, but I'm having a hard time applying the fertilizer without getting it on the plant leaves. I want to still be able to eat the lettuce and other greens in my garden, so how do you properly apply the fish emulsion and still eat the vegetables safely? Thank you. You're welcome, Charlie. Now, there is a caution on a big jug of fish emulsion that says may be harmful if swallowed. Avoid contact with the eyes, skin, open cuts or sores. Keep out of the reach of children. Wash hands after use. For general cleanup, use pine oil based cleaner. Now, what I, I use for cleanup is my cat follows me around whenever I'm using <laughs> fish emulsion. And when I'm not looking, I'll find the cat licking at the container. Yeah. That, that does happen. Well, I would not drink it out of the bottle. No. I, you no know, yeah. <laughs> but um, fish emulsion, especially when it's combined with seaweed, is actually one of the best what are called foliar fertilizers for vegetables, where you actually spray it on the leaves. I went In my landscape business, um, I took care of vegetable gardens as well as landscapes. And once a month, one of the main things that I did was apply uh, a, a foliar spray of nutrients, and it included a fish fertilizer like fish emulsion and seaweed and a compost tea. 
and you can apply that right to the leaves. So if he's, you know, if he wants to use a watering can, um, it's not the most efficient way to apply uh, a foliar fertilizer. You ideally want fine particles, but if he's trying to primarily get that fish emulsion, uh, and I would recommend adding this a good quality seaweed to it um, into the soil, it's fine to, to to let that you know go on top of the foliage. I wouldn't do it during the heat of the day. Ideally, the best time to to apply something that's going to get the leaves wet is very early in the morning. It, there there's no problem with applying fish uh, to the foliage. It, uh, the fish provides uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. And the, the nice thing about applying it to the leaves is it actually acts as nutrient insurance that whenever the, the plant is stressed due to heat or improper irrigation or anything else, uh, the roots don't function properly. And when the roots aren't functioning properly, the plant is not getting the nutrients that it needs. By spraying the, the nutrients on the leaves, it can actually very, very quickly absorb those materials and, and get those nutrients throughout the plant much more rapidly than if you were doing it through the soil and the roots. And so if you've got a, a nutrient deficiency, spraying it on the leaves will give you uh, nutrients in those plants within 24 hours. And within, if you're feeding through the soil, it's going to take uh, numerous days, uh, if not weeks or more, uh, to really get that nutrition into the plant. It's much more faster acting. You have pointed out in the past, though, that foliar feeding is no substitute for feeding the soil. That's very true. It is supplemental. You know, I, if, if you've ever heard me before, it's all about the soil and it's the soil biology and, and the, the fish emulsion and the seaweed feeds the soil biology uh, when you're when you're applying it to the soil as well as the roots. But, it, you know, you want to have nutrients. You want to create a favorable environment. Uh, with good soil structure, lots of organic matter, huge amounts of diversity and numbers you know, of soil biology, um, and so you need to, you know, you need to feed the plants and uh, fish emulsion or, or feed the soil, excuse me. And so uh, the the fish emulsion uh, provides nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash. But you have to realize that your plants and the soil biology need more than just those three primary nutrients. And that's why I like the seaweed. The seaweed provides uh, 55 trace minerals, growth hormones, plant and soil conditioners, vitamins. And uh, it's actually been shown to provide frost protection, although that's not an issue at the moment. But it'll give you frost protection down to 28 degrees. So at the in fall, if we get an early cold snap... Uh, if you're fertilizing with the, the seaweed fertilizer and spraying it on the leaves along with your fish, um, you can get frost protection uh, from that early frost. Um, when you're using seaweed fertilizers, you want to make sure that it's organic. Some of the seaweed fertilizers that are out there uh, contain synthetic fertilizers, and that's going to kill the soil biology. So make sure that it's organic. And you also want it to contain a material called Ascophyllum nidosum. That's the type of seaweed. Uh, and you can find that kind of seaweed in two products uh, readily in our area. One is called MaxiCrop, and that's the one that I use and, and like. And there's also another one called Grow More Seaweed, and they both contain, again, Ascophyllum nidosum. 
And uh, it's it's just amazing stuff. I believe both those products are available online for everybody listening elsewhere and uh, would be available. I know from Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, for one, yep. uh, groworganic.com. And so uh, check around. Those would be around. What is the difference between what you're talking about and kelp meal? Kelp meal is, is a dry material and it does not dilute in water. So you can't spray it on the leaves and ideally should be incorporated into the soil when you're planting. The only time I recommend disturbing the soil is when you're planting seeds or transplanting plants. Um, we, 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 when we disturb the soil, we're killing soil biology. We're destroying uh, the soil structure. We're doing damage to the soil, making it harder for the soil biology and your plants to grow. And so the, the liquid kelp uh, is easier to water into the soil and, and have it move around to where you want it. Uh, and it's going to move to the depths of the soil better than uh, the kelp meal. But it's basically the, the same time, the same kind of thing. Most of the kelp meals are made out of Ascophyllum nodosum. But again, you should look on the label. There's lots of different kinds of seaweeds. Um, and there's lots of research about different using different kinds of seaweeds. And the, the research shows that by far the Ascophyllum nodosum uh, has a lot more bang for your buck than any of the other varieties of seaweed. If you check today's show notes, we'll have a spelling of the word Ascophyllum nodosum, I think. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> now, uh, if I may offer a Solomon-like judgment here to more directly answer Charlie from Vacaville's question, because he's afraid of the fish emulsion actually tainting the greens that he wants to eat. How about applying that fish emulsion, just, you know, watering the plants overhead? Some of it will drip in the soil. Some of it will go on the leaves. But then perhaps soon afterwards, rinse off the plants because that will actually just move that fertilizer into the soil better and you'll have clean leaves again. Yeah, I mean, you could do it. I, I would wait at least 24 hour, probably 48 hours to give the the nutrients in in your foliar fertilizer uh, more time to get into the leaves. But after after, you know, a couple of days, uh, you, you, you certainly could wash that material off because the majority of the nutrients are, are already absorbed. Yeah, I've been using fish emulsion for years on my greens and I'm still alive. And uh, well, that's questionable. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, basically, it is it is one of my favorite fertilizers. The NPK, the nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium content of fish emulsion is generally uh, like a five one one or a five two two, and the seaweed materials you're talking about are like less than one percent of these things of the micronutrients, and that's right. okay. Yeah. Yeah. The the the, mac, the macronutrients. The fish emulsion is is macro, it, or the, the it has the the macronutrients. The kelp, like I said before, has fifty five trace minerals, growth hormones, vitamins. It, it and, and you don't find those things in any other fertilizer product. It's amazing, and the the growth hormones make it really good for when you're transplanting, whether it be shrubs, trees, vegetables. Uh, or when you're putting in seeds, uh, it really reduces transplant shock and it gets the roots uh, or, or the seeds to help, help sprout them more rapidly and successfully. 
And it doesn't take much either. I, I know of the liquid seaweed or liquid uh, kelp products on the market. It's usually one tablespoon per gallon that you yeah. apply, one teaspoon per gallon of water. And so a, a bottle of uh, seaweed or, or liquid kelp meal goes a long way. Yeah, it it it, it, go, it goes a long way. And you can certainly mix the fish and the seaweed together. And as far as the fish is concerned, I, I want to say that I prefer a product called fish, if I can pronounce it correctly, hydrolysate. Hydrolysate. Um, okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and and that material, you get a little more bang for your buck. Um, it's processed differently. It's, it's processed through enzymes. Uh, and uh, more the nutrients and the life of the soil of, of the product, if you want to say, is in that material. Uh, so it has more nutrients and it smells a little less. It's not the, the odor is not quite as fishy. <laughs> I love the smell of fish emulsion in the morning. Yeah. Like I said, I, you know, for for year for 40 some odd years when I had my landscape business, um, one of the things I did every day, every, each one of my clients was I foliar fed with with uh, the the fish, uh, seaweed, and a compost tea, and uh, I was never worried about the wind uh, spraying it back on me. Uh, it actually helped my beard grow. I'm I'm pretty convinced. <laughs> no, were were you worried about what the neighbors to the to your clients might think either? Yeah, I I, I didn't worry about it. I did have a couple of them. Yeah, um, ask me what. I was spraying because it did drift onto their plants. And one of them was on the other side of the fence, very, very quietly, you know, weeding or something. And I had, I apologized up the yin yang and, and I actually offered to go. And I think one of, one of my clients or, or one of the neighbors actually took me up on it. I went over there and said, I will do a foliar feed on your landscape for spraying. And I really apologized. And while doing so, I explained to them all the benefits of foliar feeding. And you know, I basically gave them a free consultation and, and they were very appreciative. Well, it's not like you were spraying pesticides. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that was their concern. And I told them they 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 I was glad that they were concerned because they should be. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the let's go back to the uh, old uh, gallon jug of fish emulsion, though, uh, yeah. that, that you can find at most garden centers. And I remember, this is decades ago, that you advised, because it, it comes out in gl gulps, glumps. Glumps. Yeah, glumps. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And you said, basically, to that uh, one-gallon container, add one or two glumps. Do you still yeah. stick by that? Um, you want to shake it up, and depending upon how warm it is, um, when it, the warmer it is, the, the less glumpy it is, the more and more liquid it is. But generally, uh, a glup would be about a tablespoon. Is it okay? Maybe, maybe, maybe a little more, and it would be heaping. And then, and the nice thing about the fish and the seaweed is you can't overdo it; it can't burn the plant. All right. So, you, you if three glumps come out, it's no big deal. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about All right. it. Right. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And when you, especially if you have bought one of those gallon jugs of fish emulsion and it's been sitting on the shelf for quite a while. It's pretty hard, and you need to shake it vigorously. I almost wish I had a paint can shaker to uh, mix yeah. it up first. Yeah. But, you know, this time of year, when, you, know, you put it out in the sun for a little while, a couple of hours, and I'm sure that will help. Okay, I'll do that. 
All right. So, Charlie and Vacaville, go ahead, apply those uh, uh, liquid fertilizers, the fish emulsion, to your vegetables. Just pour it over your greens. It's okay. And then 24 hours later, uh, you can wash it off if you're concerned about eating lettuce that has been uh, hit by uh, fish emulsion. Uh, It's good for your plant. It's good for the soil. And it won't kill you. All right. Although, I I wouldn't drink it. (laughs) Okay. Don't drink it. Yeah. I mean, it's always smart whenever you're using any product in the garden. Read and follow label directions. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I don't like homemade products, uh, because there are no label directions. And in many cases, uh, when you make something homemade, if you don't make it strong enough, it's not going to do the job. If you make it too strong, it can damage the plant. And in many cases, people think that, well, it's homemade, it's, it's organic, and it's safe. And often that is far from the case. In many cases, uh, soaps, for example, people make uh, insecticidal soaps, and those can contain uh, some really nasty chemicals. Uh, Dawn, for example, contains solvents, and solvents are not something you want on your plants or uh, in your soil. Fish fertilizer, fish emulsion, uh, it's been my go-to fertilizer for years, and yeah. uh, it's just uh, excellent. Yeah, and it's, it's and it's easy to apply. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, it's only 5% nitrogen and 1% phosphorus and potassium. How can that be any good for a plant? Plants are small. They don't need much. They're fine with that amount. Everything else, that if it's in double digits, it's wasted. It's wasted. It, 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 if it has higher numbers than that, typically it is a synthetic fertilizer that has salts that kills the soil biology. And what we're, you've got to remember what we're trying to do is feed the soil biology and they will feed the plants. They will take care of the plants and they don't want anything very strong and they don't want anything that contains high levels of salt. Salt is a dehydrating agent and it sucks the moisture out of the soil biology. And if you've ever heard the term fertilizer burn, uh, that means that the salt content of your synthetic fertilizer was so high that it sucked the moisture right out of the roots and it killed the plant. And so you want a fertilizer that's organic, that has those slow, slow or low numbers that will feed the soil biology. And as with anything you're eating from your garden, it's always a very good idea to thoroughly rinse and wash your produce before eating it. That's very true. Steve Zion, soil pedologist. We learned a lot about fish emulsion today, fish fertilizer, and kelp and seaweed. Thanks so much. It's been fun as always, Fred. Thank you. You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award-winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem. I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun which is a premium in my yard. And even five years later, I can pick up those smart pots, plant and all, and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. And smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of smart pots lightweight fabric containers. 
And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the Smart Pots before you buy them. That's not a problem. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. Are you thinking of growing fruit trees? Well, you probably have a million questions, like which fruit trees will grow where I live? What are the tastiest fruits? How do I care for these trees? The answers are nearby, they're just a click away with the informative fruit tube video series at DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. They've got planting tips, taste test results, links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Every week here on the Garden Basics Podcast, we like to talk with Warren Roberts. He's the Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. He always has an interesting plant of the week for us. And there is a tree that is grown widely across the United States, just about in all zones. And here in California, it's a very unusual plant. Maybe it is where you are as well. It's the Buckeye tree. And Warren, the Buckeye uh, is so popular, there are even college football teams named after it. <laughs> yes, I, th I think that would be the Ohio buckeye, which is uh, Aeschylus glabra. The genus of uh, Aeschylus is found, let's see, it's found in Southeast Europe, the Balkans. That particular one, Aeschylus hippocastinum, the, uh, the horse chestnut, is widely grown around the world. There's some here in Sacramento in Capitol Park, for example, not as uh, common in California, Although I remember uh, admiring the blooms of one uh, in the little town I was raised in, Burlingame, California. So there's a, that one. And then there are five in India, and northern India, and, and eastern Asia. And then there are seven in, the, in North America. And California has one. That's uh, a nicely named Aeschylus californica which is common in the foothill regions of California. I think it's only found within the state of California at, at a low elevation, mid elevation, coastal and Sierra uh, foothills and so on. Do all buckeyes uh, act the same? The California buckeye is so strange. It is the first tree each year to lose its leaves, which usually happens in July, in the middle of the summer. Uh, it's one of the first to leaf out around here. It's usually in February. And in between, you've got these panicles of flowers that are poisonous to bees. And then it produces this softball-sized nut that you don't want hitting you on the head if it falls from the tree. <laughs> that's true. Yes, that's that's the way it behaves here. It, because it's uh, leafless in summer or the leaves are drying up and then falling off in summer, it's not uh, as popular as it might be. But when it's in leaf, early spring, and the flowers come out like little praying hands, very beautiful, and expand out to, uh, I think it's six leaflets. Um, and then in just before the leaves uh, drop in uh, uh, early summer, it blooms. And right around Memorial Day, there are these long spikes of, of flowers 
that smell like Delaware punch or grape soda. <laughs> if, if anybody remembers Delaware punch. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so in traditional families, it's often taken to cemeteries on, on Memorial Day. But it, uh, it's a, an interesting looking tree. When the pioneers ca came west, they thought it was a fig because the, the tree has, uh, no, they thought it was a pear because the, <laughs> the fruit kind of looks like a pear. It, but it's it's appearances are deceiving because it's not people from the Mediterranean from Spain when they saw it they called it wild fig because the tree looks kind of like a fig yeah. with the smooth gray bark and so the igelillo was the name given so it was it was an odd duck certainly uh, the trees that have only have leaves from early spring in, until early summer. It's beautiful, though, against a dark uh, background, like, say, redwood trees or, or uh, conifers in the back. It will tolerate some snow. I, I know it's grown in England, but um, I'm not sure where it would, where it would be successful outside of, outside of California. So there is actually also another species, a shrub, in the north part of Baja California. Now, the interesting thing is that that one in northern Baja California, which also loses its leaves in summer, is more related to the species in the eastern part of North America, whereas our Californian species is more closely related to the ones in Asia. In the Arboretum, we have a, a buckeye called Aeschylus indica, indica in a broad sense from the Indies. And that's a very handsome uh, shaped tree. And that's in the same group of buckeyes as our own native one, even though in nature they certainly do not grow close together. One of my favorites of all, though, is the red buckeye, which is Aeschylus pavia. This is a shrub. Deciduous. All of these trees are deciduous, by the way, which means you know, typically they lose the leaves in the winter, except for the one in California, the ones in California. And it has red flowers, so it's slightly tubular, and uh, a favorite with hummingbirds. Uh, really a beautiful shrub. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm very, very fond of it. There's a yellow flower in form as well. Hmm. Horticulturalists have crossed that with the horse chestnut, Aeschylus hippocastanum, and the hybrid is called Aeschylus hybrid carnia, which also has very dark pink flowers and is absolutely gorgeous. When, when they're in full bloom, it looks like big mounds of raspberry sherbet piled all through the tree. <laughs> oh, I just love that tree. <laughs> Sounds like and somebody it, wants it, ice cream and soda pop. <laughs> oh, well, always. <laughs> and I remember two large specimens of that in the Mills estate. The Mills family from Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, had a big estate here in California and two huge um, red, red um, hybrid red buckeyes. There are other species as well. Uh, Aeschylus parviflora has spikes of white flowers in, on a, a medium to large shrub. And they're very striking. Maybe be best enjoyed at some distance because they have an impolite kind of fragrance. Oh. I think they're pollinated by beetles or something like that ah. or flies. But beautiful. Oh, my goodness. The first time I saw it, I fell in love with it. That just about yeah, There are other species, but the ones that I've mentioned are, are the ones that are most commonly cultivated. Summer trees and summer shrubs. The Aeschylus, also known as the Buckeye, you can find out in just about any state of these United States. It's a, a very hardy tree. 
with an interesting show. And as you said, Warren, it might be an acquired taste, or as I like to say, it's a back 40 tree. It's something for you that maybe is not visible all the time outside the kitchen window. You have to travel through the yard to go see it instead. That it is worthwhile having, or get your neighbor to plant one. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I like that. The the, the Buckeye has grown on me. If I had the room, I'd have a Buckeye. The plant of the week, the Aeschylus, the Buckeye, Warren Roberts, the Superintendent Emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum, which is also online at arboretum.ucdavis.edu, where you can find out about the Arboretum All-Stars, just some really great plants that they have at the UC Davis Arboretum. Warren, thanks so much for telling us about the plant of the week, the Buckeye. Thank you, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday and is brought to you by Smart Pots. It's available just about anywhere, and that includes Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And for Northern California gardeners, it's the Green Acres Garden Podcast with Farmer Fred. It's available also wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. And thanks for listening.